everyone, and thank you for listening to this week's episode of Journeys of Scientists. I'm Brian Stanley. I'm a physics PhD student at Michigan State University doing physics education research. I'm an outreach coordinator for the graduate student organization WAMPS. This podcast consists of informal conversations with graduate students with the goal of learning a little bit about their work, their interests and hobbies outside of work, and the experiences that brought them to where they are today. If you or someone you know is interested in joining an episode of Journeys of Scientists, please email me at the email provided in the show notes. This week we are joined by recent master's graduate Jessica Crawford. Hope you enjoy. Welcome, Jessica. Could you briefly introduce yourself? What do you study and, and the such? Yes. So my name is Jessica and I recently graduated with a master's degree in community sustainability from MSU. And my thesis was on community acceptance of utility scale solar energy. And I also did a little bit of research regarding kind of um, recycling and composting programs in the city of East Lansing with the municipality of East Lansing. Oh, super cool. Congratulations on, on graduating. Thank you. What, thank you. It's a very uh, exciting time and an, also um, an interesting time. We actually had our virtual ceremony on Saturday, and so that was an interesting experience. But yes, it is very exciting indeed. You just sit in your robes in your in your office. Yes, <laughs> yeah, it was very awkward. And then like everyone had to um, like their advisor got like one minute to speak about like everything that, you know, their their advisee did. And then we had a, like a minute to thank them for everything they did. And then it was just like, all right, at the end of it, everyone had to like move their tassel <laughs> over. And then we all had to do like a screenshot picture. <laughs> so <laughs> it was kind of funny. Very nice. Okay, so then I'm going to ask you the question that you've probably been asked a million times, yeah. what's next? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, good question. And I've been trying to figure out what's next for, um, since December, I started looking for jobs kind of in the field of sustainability. And sustainability is such a, it's such an all-encompassing kind of area, I guess, because I mean, to be sustainable, you have to be kind of sustainable on all fronts, whether it be you know, natural resources or energy or, um, you know, waste. Um, It's kind of just all of these different components. And so I've kind of been looking for either focus areas within that renewable energy sector or within that sustainable resource recovery sector, because those are kind of the main things that I've been focusing on in my program. And so I was like, I know how to talk about these things in interviews. So (laughs) those are kind of the jobs that I was looking for. And I really love the state of Michigan. And I think that Michigan has a lot of work to do as far as moving towards a more sustainable future. So I saw that as a I guess, um, a lot of room for opportunities um, in this field. And so I was primarily looking for jobs that were either with uh, local governments like cities or counties or within the state government. And I actually uh, just secured a job like last week with the state of Michigan. I know. So now I get to stay in Lansing and um, it's the, the, 
title, I guess, is called the Community Programs Coordinator. And what it is, is it's working with like public schools, businesses and nonprofits and, and, and municipalities to help them secure, I guess, funding and technical assistance for uh, energy efficiency upgrades and renewable energy projects. So it's like this is kind of right in line with where I want to be and, and kind of the geographic location that I prefer. And so I was like, sign me up. Heck, yeah, I'm going to accept that job. <laughs> Ah, super cool. Super cool. Congratulations. That sounds very exciting. I know. I know. I was just, I was very fortunate that it was able to work out where, you know, I graduated and then I got a job right after that. Cause I know that sometimes that timing doesn't always work out very well. And so I'm just so thankful to have a job in this kind of climate and um, that I don't have to just sit in my apartment and twiddle my thumbs all day. (laughs) Are you originally from Michigan? So I am actually from the Pacific Northwest. I was born and raised in Mount Vernon, Washington, which is about like an hour north of Seattle. And I think that's kind of where some of my fondness of nature and um, the environment stems from, because I grew up in a very natural area. You know, I was an hour away from the the mountains, an hour away from the, the Pacific Ocean. And so I kind of got to experience some of the most beautiful places in, in the States. And so I think I really gained a connection and a fondness of nature because I kind of saw it as my home. And so that's um, kind of where I grew up. And then I, uh, for a little bit, I lived in um, California over in um, Monterey Bay area. So again, kind of on the ocean. And then more when I was in a in kind of my teens, we moved over to West Michigan, and then again we're still still near the water, and so that's kind of where where I've been drawn to. And I still think Michigan is one of the even living in some of those more scenic areas. I like Michigan because I do like having four seasons. I mean, and even sometimes when it happens in a week, we get four different seasons. It feels like so. I don't know. I think that Michigan's a great place to be, and I'm glad that. I am here now, but I do get to go back and visit, um, you know, every once and again to go into the other side of the country. And so that's kind of nice to have um, get away from Michigan for a little bit, but, you know, come back in and, and stay here and hang out for for my career, pretty much. Oh, very cool. Mm-hmm. I, I guess uh, you told me an hour north of Seattle. I would have just assumed that was Canada. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Fair assumption. It's pretty close. <laughs> Uh, Very cool. Where did you do your undergrad? I did my undergrad at Grand Valley. And so again, uh, Michigan based, it was um, my bachelor's is in natural resources management. And so that was kind of more some of that, I guess, conservation of natural resources type stuff where we learned about forestry, watershed management, you know, kind of more of the out in nature, getting down and dirty in the soil type t- type stuff, doing more of that physical um, science in, in that regard. And so that's kind of where I got more of a background in that natural science, physical science type stuff. And so I didn't really know what community engagement or, you know, working with other people really was because I was so into the the numbers and the data and that kind of thing that I'm sure you're very familiar with given the, the field that you're in. Um, and so um, when I was kind of open to this idea of a community sustainability program, I had no idea what social science even was. And so I was kind of compelled to, you know, my 
inquisitive mind was like, all right, well, let's figure out what this, this is and go explore into that. And so that's kind of why I tried to venture out to just learn more about what it is about this whole field of natural science and sustainability meant to kind of understand it from a different, um, I guess the different dynamics that it has going for it, whether it be the environment and people, since obviously we know that can't really think of them as separate entities from one another. Okay. Where is, is Grand Valley? Where is it's in Allendale. So kind of over by Grand Rapids ish. Oh, okay. So was not that too all, far. Okay. Was that when you already moved here in Michigan? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I was already here. Um, and with that program, I did, cause I kind of went in, I guess, undecided in my major. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And then actually through MSU's um, extension program, they had this like little training. It was called like Master Naturalist. And so I took that while I was at um, Grand Valley, just kind of separately. I found some spare time to do it. And with that program, they kind of took you out to all of these beautiful like parks and open areas. And then they would have these like leaders in the field that would teach you about the different, um, I guess, resources and reasons for conservation um, here in, in, in Michigan. And so, you know, I got to learn about the dune ecosystems, the freshwater resources, all of the native plants and biodiversity type deals. And, you know, then we would get to go out in the field and kind of experience all of that firsthand. And so that's when I kind of realized that I can take my passion for nature and like make it into something that I dedicate my, I guess, education and in my career to. And so I was like, hey, other people are doing this. This sounds pretty cool, like something that I could do too. And so that's kind of where that whole connection came from is, is really learning about the more formal side of, of um, this field. Oh, super cool. Random question since you just mentioned like dunes and stuff. Like, so, um, so like Michigan has like dunes, you know, on the, on the Western side, right? Why? why? <laughs> like, <laughs> question. You know what? I think a lot of it has to do with, uh, I think it has to do with the way that the glaciers had, you know, formed and melted and, and just the way that the lakes work to kind of shape some of the, mm -hmm. you know what, I'm not, I'm not even going to pretend like I know. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> they literally have degree programs that study like dune ecosystems and dune formations and like the, all of the complexities of that. But all I know is that people are building houses on the dunes and because people are building houses on the dunes, they're kind of, I guess, pretty much causing erosion that's happening more quickly than they necessarily would be in kind of their natural state. And so that's kind of contributing towards some of um, the uh, pretty much just the uh, deterioration of our dune system. And so right now there's a lot of unhealthy dunes that are happening and um, it's kind of a very sensitive area to be in and to, you know, be able to recreate on or, or kind of have, um, enjoy because they're at a very fragile state. And so some of them are, um, kind of at risk. So that's another thing that we got to be considering as Michiganders is being able to kind of find ways to respect our environment and also being able to enjoy it at the same time. And so, you know, being from kind of a coastal town, that's something that, um, needs to be kind of considered in their, um, just kind of their long-term planning and where people are going to be allowed to um, build and where people are going to be allowed to um, pretty much go out and, uh, you know, go 
I don't know, what's it called? The motorbiking stuff and doing all oh. that kind of crazy parks and recs kind of stuff. And so, yeah, it's, it's a very sensitive topic. And a lot of people, you know, want to be able to enjoy the lakes and, and live that coastal lifestyle. But at the same time, we're kind of harming the things that we love so dearly. <laughs> Okay. So you said you did your, your undergrad in natural resources. Yes. So what led you into like going into that as like a major? Is that what you started off as and why? Yeah, I think it's kind of, I, I kind of, I started off undecided and then I went to like a, a business degree and then I like took a business class and I was like, whoo, this, this is a completely, uh, different experience and this is kind of a different group of people that I'm not normally used to interacting with like the people that I interact with you know we're just wearing hiking boots and jeans and these people are dressed up in suits and bow ties when they go to class <laughs> and so I was like wow this is kind of a, a different setting and so I started after I took that um, MSU extension program then I kind of said like okay well what kind of classes do they have with that are more like biology related and so as soon as I kind of started um, exploring that realm then I was like oh this kind of seems like more more of the, the group of people that I'm looking for. This is kind of more of the chill environment that I'm um, interested in. And also the stuff that I was learning, it just felt more interesting to me. And so I was kind of more compelled to continue to kind of learn more and go down that route further. Whereas like with business, I was just like, oh, this just seems like numbers and finances and laws that I don't understand. And so I was like, I wasn't really, it didn't kind of, I didn't have that same connection. And so I think with the natural resources, I felt a connection that I was like, I, I don't know. It was just kind of that it, it was kind of just like a click where I was like, yeah, this seems more me. And so um, then I kind of switched my major and went into natural resources management and um, kind of in that field, we were all assigned um, advisors that would kind of help us get through our programs. And one of the advisors that I was um, assigned, he was in that natural resources management department, but he kind of had a more, I guess, focus area on policy and renewable energy. And he was the only one in the department that had that emphasis. And so he would be kind of working on these research projects that no one else like knew anything about. And I was like, oh, this seems kind of cool. And so I was able to collaborate with him on a couple of his um, projects. And that kind of helped me I guess, solidify my niche area of where I wanted to be in renewable energy, because I was able to kind of um, get more of that research experience with him and learn more about that field um, in, in that program. Okay, cool. Can you explain a little bit more of like the type of research that you're doing then? Yeah, so we had a couple of different projects. One was, um, we were exploring a 100% uh, renewable energy plan for this um, small coastal island called um, Cabo Verde and it's actually off the the coast of Africa and so like there I don't know I have no idea how like that project got initiated but my professor my professor at the time had connections with the people in that area that wanted to um, explore more feasible possibilities to kind of sustain their lifestyle because since they were um a um, island, they were, um, they pretty much were relying on diesel generations for um, powering um, their community. And so it was just incredibly expensive and it wasn't going to, I guess, um, be sustainable in the long run. And so they were looking for a little bit more help on like, what are, 
our alternatives and what can we do um, instead that is going to be something that we can um, keep going for the long run. And so uh, with my professor, we kind of did um, a bunch of different modeling, I guess, modeling type deals where we would like find, okay, here's the realistic cost and here's the capacity for you to um, try out geothermal energy or here's um, the options for solar, here's the options for wind. And so we kind of explored the different, I guess, types of um, energy that would be possible for that. And then um, kind of did like an economic analysis on, all right, well, if you were to pursue this, this is how much it's going to cost. This is kind of, I guess, the the payback period of if you were to invest this, this is when you're going to, you know, get your return on your investment type of deal. And so unfortunately, we were never able to go there because we didn't have the funding to go there. But we did um, kind of make a, a formal plan to one of their ambassadors that were um, kind of responsible for their the the oversight of their energy and um, kind of presented it to them that way. And they were trying to go 100% uh, renewable by, bull by like 2025 or something. And then um, there were going to be some extreme costs to that. And so I don't think that's something that they ended up doing, but they did make some, I guess, more um, clean strides towards what they were um, trying to do, even though they weren't able to get that ambitious goal. But a lot of the times when um small island communities um, do kind of make those more ambitious goals. That's one of their opportunities to get more funding <laughs> to be able to do that. And so I think that's one of the reasons why they were kind of being very aggressive about that. But yeah, they were, um, I think our research kind of helped them get the um, practical, uh, I guess, support that they needed to be able to help them pursue that idea. And then um, another project that we were able to do that was a lot more local is um, we studied the potential for willow biomass as a um, renewable energy source. And um, at Grand Valley, they have like a sustainable agricultural program type deal where they have a farm where they kind of grow um, foods and then they sell it at, you know, within the community. And so at that farm, we were able to get a plot of land where we um, planted, uh, I think it was four different varieties of willow species and we kind of measured their growth and their um their growth rate and um their uh I don't know kind of just susceptibility to insects um and diseases and you know their contributions to the soil and um how it kind of altered the soil conditions and all that kind of stuff to test all right what is the environmental impact of willow biomass as well as um is this going to be an option that can contribute to moving towards a more I guess, 100% clean energy type of um, operation, because um, I think one of the big hurdles that we're going to face in going 100% renewable energy is a lot of the um, the fuel is going to be a big uh, issue when it comes to trying to replace um, what we have, because currently there's not a ton of options. You know, there's ethanol, but again, it's kind of this issue of, um, land use um, conflicts, whether we're growing food or whether we're growing, using our land for food or whether we're going to use it for fuel. And then when we do use it for fuel, you know, it's not the most, it, there, there's challenges with it when it comes to, um, you know, cost and um, the time it takes and just how much we would actually need to kind of meet the demands that we have currently. And so using a biomass was kind of um, instead of like using um, it was like a wood based rather than, you know, like a more like a plant like corn 
um, is kind of, I guess, has more energy density. And so with that, um, it was kind of seen as a potential alternative. And so that could be um, give us more opportunities for I guess more, more power. I don't know, but um, so that was another project that we got to do more locally. And it was more of a, a physical measurements, whereas the other project was kind of more of a economical and distant measurements that we were using literally just based off of, um, I guess, numbers that were made available to us by our partners over overseas. And so, yeah, those were kind of the, the two different things that we got to work on, both kind of completely random from what I was studying at the time. And so I was kind of interested in it because it was so different. And it was um, it was something that seemed to be very much needed. And um, yeah, and so that kind of got me going on the whole renewable energy kick. Okay. So like there's many different types of like renewable energy, like you said, like solar and wind and mm -hmm. geothermal and all that. So obviously they each have a kind of like their own pros and calls and, and like are dependent on like where you actually are. Yes. I was just curious, like, do you, is there like one though that like, Oh, that's like, I don't know, your favorite or like one that you like, Oh, I really like this type or. So one that I get super excited about, I just, I just love wind energy. I think wind energy makes sense for the most people. Because when you think about wind energy, you can pretty much produce one megawatt of energy with one turbine. And within that one turbine, they usually only need like one acre of space. And so a lot of the times these wind turbines go up in more rural areas and in places like Michigan, it's, um, you know, it's on our, in our, our farmland. And so when you think about the, the land use conflict, they use a lot less land for the amount of power that they produce. And so a lot of the times farmers who have wind turbines, they can still keep a lot of their land in production. And so I think it's one of the more efficient ways to use um, renewable energy. Whereas when you consider projects like solar panels, when we're siting solar panels on um, ag land, we have to use a lot of space, especially for some of those more um, utility scale uh, solar projects that are going to be producing that kind of that big scale, um, I guess, power capacity. And so when you think about that and you have to site solar on ag land, that takes that land pretty much out of production for the next 20, 25 years for however long those solar panels are, I guess, in operation for. And so then I guess when you think about it in terms of trying to make it coexist with what we're already using right now, I think that wind energy is definitely um, has more going for it. But I think from the social side of things, and when you're thinking about um, people that aren't necessarily participating or leasing out their land for renewable energies, people don't like seeing wind turbines. And you can see them from like up to 30 miles away, even more maybe. And so they impact a lot more people from an aesthetic type, um, I guess, point of view. And so there are, I think that that does complicate things in terms of, you know, opposition groups um, being fearful of it impacting their property values and um, kind of just ruining some of that rural, you know, 
it, it's almost ru ruining that that rural aesthetic that people move out to the countryside for because you know it's it's interrupting that landscape that they were so used to whereas you know something like solar you can put up a you know some some trees around the the vicinity and it's really only going to impact the nearby neighbors and you know people 30 miles away have no idea it's even there and so I think that there's pros and cons for each of them. And that's why it's so important that we do have that diversity within our energy mix um, so that we can kind of make up one uh, type of energy kind of makes up for what the other one lacks. But yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan, a big fan of <laughs> wind turbines. So I always thought, yeah, I never, I personally never understood the, the, the like, oh, they're, ugly to look at or whatever i don't know I, i'm like they're they're giant i don't know i think they're cool looking like you know i've driven through wyoming so many times i'm oh, like well yeah. wyoming is not that interesting to look at but i'm like <laughs> oh but there's a giant farm of winter beds. i'm like well that was kind of interesting <laughs> yeah right there's a, there's a spice up to the to the landscape i know i've i've read studies too where like especially younger generations are more like find these wind turbines more visually appealing because they do connect it to that, you know, environmental aspect of, Hey, this is good for our future. Like we like this because that means we're not going to have to deal with as much, you know, aftermath of climate change if we're continuing to invest in this mm -hmm. type of energy that's more sustainable for all of us so there is definitely a generational divide for who thinks wind turbines are, uh, are kind of cool to look at versus who just would rather look at a farm field. <laughs> yeah. So like, yeah, I guess like wind energy, I only ever, I think of like you know, the giant turbines, which like when you don't realize just how big they are until like yeah. you're like on the freeway and like, oh, there's one on, on the, yeah. the semi, so it's like, oh, it's huge. Um, can you, so that seems good for like making a lot. I think of, you know, like when I, you know, from like Arizona, like, okay, well, it's mm -hmm. sunny all the time. So like everything's solar because you just put it on your roof yes. of, your, of your own house or or your business or like covered parking or just like the giant solar panels. So mm -hmm. that to me, that seems like, oh, that's like a very personal thing. Like I, as a person can do that. Is it, is there like an effective way that I could have like wind energy? Like, can I put like a mini turbine like in my backyard or is that just like, will I not get a whole lot from that? Yeah. So I think part of the reason why those wind turbines are so large is because the higher up that you go, the, I guess, the more consistent and um, powerful the wind is. And so that's why you kind of need these wind turbines to be like 500 feet in the air, because mm -hmm. that's when you're going to get them to, um, I guess, operate at the capacity that they need to operate in order to produce a lot of energy. And so there are options for you to get more, I guess, miniature wind turbines for your own like personal property but then again it's not going to be you know it's not going to do a whole lot um i think it uh, anything helps especially you know if you are in an area where let's say that you know you have a bunch of trees in the area and you're not necessarily going to get the most solar like yeah having an alternative like wind would be a contribution but again i don't i don't i'm not 100 sure if it's going to be enough to sustain that um mm -hmm. i guess power that you would need but yeah i think again um that is where something where you could uh 
couple it with both Mm -hmm. solar and wind, because then um, you kind of have a little bit working towards your your whole energy portfolio. So let's say maybe if your wind um, turbines aren't going to be operating because it is a very still day and your turbine's just not going to be high enough to to kind of get that consistent wind that it needs. But hey, maybe uh, you could get a little bit of solar um, uh, during that time. And, you know, wind turbines too, I think, from what I understand, they do operate um, very highly kind of in the evening and at night as well. And so that's kind of, again, where that balancing act comes into play, whereas, you know, you get your solar energy kind of at that peak time during the day, and then your your wind comes in and kind of help you, helps you through the evening and at night as well. And so I think it's, again, it's just the more the merrier. <laughs> What's geothermal energy? Like I, I, I've like I've heard of it, and I know, well, just from the name, it has to do something with heat from the earth, right? But <laughs> from yes, that, yeah. Be, but beyond that, I don't really know what it is. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a good question, and I don't really. I'm trying to learn a little bit more about it too, because I know that geothermal is definitely very prominent in areas, especially with more. Um, volcanic activity that's where you can Mm. get like powerful load from geothermal but I have heard that there are like places where you can get geothermal that don't necessarily have um you know that that um high uh activity happening underneath the surfaces and it's something that is again going to be like a little bit less um less powerful, but I do hear all the time that people are kind of tapping into geothermal to like, let's say heat their water or something like that and using kind of that, that option. And I know that geothermal, it's not really at that same level where, um, wind and solar are in terms of making it economically feasible. It definitely has a higher, um, I guess uh, it's going to be a longer (laughs) payback period because the the technology is, is not, I guess, from my understanding, the technology isn't as well established there. And then it also is very location specific. And so, yeah, you can get it, but again, it's going to be very context specific as to where it's going to operate the most efficient efficiently. So, yeah, I think when it's compared to something like, oh yeah, I'll just heat my own personal water heater. I think in terms of doing that, that's something that you can use geothermal for. But again, I'd uh, operate on a big scale, especially in a place like Michigan. I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure of how, if we're there yet. And we might be, cause that's not really an area that I have, I guess, formally studied. And it's something that I want to learn more about. But again, I think that's kind of um, just another one that we have to keep in our in our pocket to continue to research in and and see where we can move it. Because again, it's going to be something else that can can um, contribute to where we're trying to be. And yeah, so that's definitely one that I have to look up to because I'm like, it sounds awesome. It sounds like everyone needs this, but like, can everyone get this is the is the bigger question. So how did you end up at MSU? Did you go immediately from undergrad? And like, if so, like, how, why MSU? Yeah, yeah. So I think the short answer is that's where the funding took me. (laughs) Um, Pretty much after GVSU, I went into um, the workforce for a little bit. And I actually, I did something, again, completely unrelated. I did invasive species management stuff. And um, I also did a little bit of um, that recycling area too. We got some scrap tire recycling funding and we got some like, um, we just made a little bit of education kind of stuff. And so 
I was kind of doing that primarily invasive species work. And at the time I was like, this isn't like, I, I like doing this, but I feel like this isn't necessarily the area that I want to continue to go down. And so I was kind of thinking about, all right, what are some other opportunities that I can get back into to kind of, you know, further go down the route of um, renewable energy? Because that was something that I was kind of vibing with when I was in school and something I wanted to get back into. And so that um, advisor that I talked about at Grand Valley, I kind of told him my interest in going back to do more schooling. Um, I picked a master's degree because I, I was always kind of interested in going into working into like the government type of work. And I know that a lot of, um, I guess I kind of informally heard that, you know, a lot of state jobs or city jobs, they're kind of looking for people that do have that advanced degree. And so it would be, I guess it would make it easier for me to get into one of those organizations if I did have a little bit more schooling. And so I told my um, advisor at my, my former advisor at, at GVSU, like, hey, I really like the stuff that we worked on. If you have any um, colleagues or anyone that you know that it's looking for a graduate student, like, please let me know. And, um, you know, I'd love to do a program. And he just so happened to like, he had someone and he's like, hey, yeah, I actually just talked to this professor at MSU who um, he's um, relatively new in the field and he has a bunch of funding to um host a, a graduate student and he's kind of looking more into the social side of renewable energy. And so if this is an area that you want to continue to learn about and kind of expand what you already know, like I would um, recommend that you uh, give him a, a, a call or whatever. And so I reached out to him and he was like, the nicest, most like, yeah, I think that we can make this work. Um, here's what I do. Um, if you're interested in this, you can kind of tailor your program to whatever you um, want to further explore and we can go from there. And so um, the advisor that I had pretty much recommended me to this other advisor. And because of that, I was able to get funding. Um, so that's really the only program I've ever even looked at because I was like, I don't really want to if I don't have to, I don't want to pay. And so I was like, this guy has funding. He has um, a topic that I'm interested in. MSU is still, you know, it's a accredited school for doing environmental work and, um, and in the field. And so I was like, that sounds like a good um, fit for me. And I was, I was like, all right, sign me up. And so um, I went into it. So I think I, I worked um, in the workforce for maybe like two or three years before I came back to school. Um, and I'm kind of glad that I did that because I think that looking for jobs now, they do, you know, the, the job, the, the workforce is so picky, you know, they want you to have this education, they want you to have experience and, you know, but they don't like, it, it takes a lot of, it pretty much they're asking you to have everything before you even apply to an entry level job. And so it's very like, it's frustrating at points, but I think that having both that academic and a little bit of a professional experience kind of help me secure this position that I'm in now. Um, and so, yeah, that's how I ended up at MSU and got connected with that professor. I've tried to, I did try to connect to a couple of professors at U of M, but they just didn't have the same, I guess, financial resources that this one had. And so I was like, yeah, this seems like a better fit. <laughs> All right. Uh, super cool. And then, like, I know that you did, because I, I saw your your portfolio presentation yeah. <laughs> of you're in the um, certificate program for community engagement. Can you talk a little bit about your experience with that and the project that you did for that? 
Absolutely. So I think that, so the certificate, in, uh, the graduate certificate in community engagement, it's pretty much just like this actual like formal certification program that like you get a uh, classroom training as well as once you get your classroom training, then you kind of go out into the field and implement what you've learned um, in order to conduct a partnership using kind of this uh, a scholarship where you incorporate both academic knowledge and then like community expertise and knowledge and use that um, partnership to kind of create this mutual benefit of what the community needs that work for and then, you know, what you needed that for to whether it would be advance your own, you know, academic, um, you know, your CV or whatever, or whether you're looking to get more experience in the field. And so since recycling was something that I kind of got interested in at, um, you know, in my job uh, after I graduated undergrad. And then I also started to work as a recycling assistant at um, MSU's recycling center, just because I was like, I don't know. <laughs> it's just like, what else can I do? And so I was like, oh, let me sort recyclables on a line for seven hours a day. That sounds fun. And so I decided to do that um, to kind of get up more hands-on experience with the recycling industry. And so after I did that for a while, I was kind of like, okay, well, I feel like I can do a little bit more than just, um, you know, sort trash all day. <laughs> so I was like, all right, how else can I have an impact in this field? And so I connected with the city of East Lansing to see if like they were interested in doing anything more with their um, resource recovery services. And um, they're like, oh yeah, we're always looking to, to grow and expand what we do. And they're very interested in learning from the public. And obviously their whole goal is to serve the public. And so when I told them like, hey, let's do this research that's publicly informed so that you know what the public wants so that you can better serve them. And they're like, all right, absolutely, let's do it. And so we pretty much did this partnership where I worked with the city itself um, and we conducted this research experiment where we, not even experiment, we just collected research on what the public wanted out of their resource recovery services to find out where the city should go next with kind of um, exploring opportunities for funding or, um, you know, education or what else they needed to offer so that the citizens could have their needs met in terms of recycling. And so uh, we just gathered a bunch of input from the citizens. And once we had that, um, I kind of helped the city analyze that data to, um, I guess, pretty much allow them to interpret like what it means for um, what happens next. So for example, a lot of people wanted better access to electronics recycling or recycling plastic film. Um, they wanted more resources on like, all right, what does, what's the difference between box board and cardboard kind of deal. And so that kind of just gave the city a better perspective of where the, the, the community stands as far as where they're at with their recycling. And so that information was helped used so that they could put some of that citizen informed um, information towards their more formal goals so that they could, um, you know, start writing grants to, all right, where can we, um, you know, find money to host an electronics recycling drop-off center or, um, you know, who, um, or this is where we should um, dedicate our staff time to developing more, um, you know, flyers on, all right, this is what cardboard is. This is what box board is. And so I think it just kind of helped them direct where they were going next. And so that was a really great opportunity to kind of get to learn more about the recycling side, especially in mid-Michigan and, you know, from one of the, the leaders in um, recycling in the state, because the state is 
very uh they're they have a lot of work to do as far as recycling the the cities like or sorry the state's recycling rates only like 15 percent whereas the city of east lansing's recycling rate is more than 50 percent and so you know being able to learn from the city about what perspectives um, their perspectives, their hurdles, their opportunities that they faced in order to get to where they're at, and then them still being interested in furthering, you know, all of the great work that they already made was kind of just a very inspirational experience and, and a great opportunity to kind of get to know more about the field of recycling. And so it's definitely one that I uh, would like to continue um, to further dive into as I, I guess, progress in my career, and and hopefully I can get involved in that again. So, yeah. Are the, you know, each different city are the, is recycle trash and recycling, are those privatized or are they through the city? Yeah. So the city, um, the city itself, if you're within city like limits, that is, um, like a municipal service, but let's say that you're not within the city mm -hmm. limits, then, um, it's privatized. So I think in East Lansing, it's like, uh, I don't know. It's, it starts with a G. Granger, I think. And so Granger is like their private one if you're outside mm. of the city. But within within the city, then yes, the, the city has um, the recycling services. So yeah, that's a, that gives them a lot of, I guess, influence on mm -hmm. being able to offer more because they do have that um, ability to. They have the, the, the um, staff and the infrastructure. And so that kind of gives them a lot of capacity to act on some of these citizens' um, requests. Very nice. Um, so I guess I'd, I'd be curious, you know, either when you were an undergrad or even now as a grad student or like a now completed grad yeah. student, <laughs> um, were you like, what did you do outside of like research or your classes? Were you part of like clubs, organizations, hobbies, anything like that? So really the big thing that I did, so one of the reasons why I connected with the city of East Lansing because I served on their commission on the environment and pretty much what that is. It's like a, it's like a citizen advisory committee. So that citizens that are kind of in the know of whatever topic they're focused on can kind of be used to direct some of the, the citizen or the city's actions in a more formal sense. And so that's one of the, um, I guess, extracurriculars mm -hmm. that I did um, in terms of outside of academics. But <laughs> to be honest with you, I wish I would have done more um, in terms of like student organizations and that kind of stuff, because MSU in particular, I mean, they have that whole like they there's so many different opportunities to get involved in um, and student led organizations. And um, that's something that I did at Grand Valley, but didn't do here. And so I'm kind of like, dang, I, I missed out. And I see like my, a lot of my friends have been um, a part of like the graduate student organization or, or you know, even just stuff, stuff like that. And so I see a, a lot of their engagement and, and stuff like that. And I'm like, man, I should have done that. Now I feel kind of lame. <laughs> so besides that, I mean, I, um, in my free time, I tried to spend as much time outdoors as I could, you know, Lansing is, is very, urban. And so a lot of their parks that, you know, I, I went to, they're all like, they had a uh, paved sidewalks and stuff. And so I tried to explore areas outside of Lansing when I could to kind of get more of that nature experience that I wanted. So, you know, I would go to areas like, um, 
Grand Ledge <laughs> and, and go to some of their county parks over there and, and go kayaking and hiking and um, cross-country skiing is something that I love to do in the winter. And so I just tried to maintain my connection with the outdoors as much as I could. And, you know, COVID kind of gave us all more of an opportunity to do that since that's really the only thing we were allowed to do. <laughs> Nice. I guess wrapping things up a little bit, do you have like any advice or words of wisdom for any maybe like people considering going into graduate school or or starting graduate school and, you know, like adjusting, you know, to that transition? Yes, I think that one of. Well, one of the biggest differences between graduate school and undergrad, I feel like graduate school is very self-directive self-directed. And so I think being able to figure out how you can best maintain your own, um, I guess, work ethic is critical because like if you operate, if you're fine, you get a lot of tasks that you have to figure out how you're going to prioritize in order to get things done um, within the deadlines. And especially in a master's program, it goes so quickly. Like, you know, the first year, you know, you, um, get to learn the basics. You already have to have like ideas for a proposal. And then the following summer you're conducting research. And then after that, you know, you're pretty much writing up your report and presenting. So it happens so quickly. And so kind of coming in with at least a basic idea of how you can best um, organize yourself in order to, um, I guess, implement uh, some of your ideas is going to be critical. So I always use, I became very familiar with, you know, putting stuff on my calendar. I used the to-do list all the time to like make sure that I uh, made my deadlines and was assigning my stuff uh, appropriately so that I could get it done. And I'm um, just also kind of having an idea of what you want. And then once you kind of have an idea, I would recommend with just sticking with it because you don't really have a ton of time to um, reconsider. And especially, uh, you know, in, uh, and that's, again, with a master's program, because with a PhD, I'm sure you have a lot more time to, to figure out what you want to do. And it's a lot more critical, too, um, that you do something a little bit more uh, academically rigorous and something that's going to be, you know, what you're going to write 300 pages worth of dissertation stuff on. So I think with master's, it is has a little bit more um, leniency in that sense. And um, so, yeah, I would just say that find what you're passionate about because it, it does take a lot of um, time and energy and dedication to go through and um, be working on this because that's primarily, you know, you primarily work on your research and then your classwork. And then that's a lot of what you have to spend your time doing. And so making sure that you're doing something that you care about, I think is also critically important. Otherwise you're going to get drained so quickly. <laughs> so, but I think doing this program too was definitely something that it's, I would do it again in a heartbeat because I think it was an incredible learning opportunity. And I would recommend anyone that is on the fence of doing a master's program or even a PhD, I think just go for it because it's not like you can say that, uh, you know, it's, you won't, it's not something where you won't get anything out of it because even if it is, you know, a terrible program and you don't get to do what you want to do, there's always a way to find the positive side of things and be able to um, benefit from it in the long run. And so an MSU is great for me. And so I think that it has a lot of different things that it can offer different people. And so it's a definitely a good school to, to go to and learn. All right. Well, thank you for sharing and thank you for coming on doing this. It was a pleasure talking with you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to, to talk about myself. <laughs> yeah, thank you.